What up, what up, what up? Ladies and gentlemen, we're back for one last time in the 19s. This is across the intersect. Come on, I can't say something slangery. Wait, uh, wait. Like, the 19s? The no, 19s. The 2010s. Okay, let's start again then. Here we go. What up, what up, what up? Ladies and gentlemen, we are back for one last time in the 2010s. <laughs> Had to get that correct from Miss Eva. This is Across the Intersection Podcast. This is AJ. I'm in here with Eve and A Sizzle. As always, you can ingest our lovely podcast where they get ingested. Spotify, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts, Google Play and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and the Clouds of Sound. And get at us on divemedia.co that is divemedia.co all of our podcasts can be listened to on the website Uh, for those of you who don't stream them on any other platform go to the website and get us some views and you can hit us up on the socials at this is dive media on all platforms that's facebook twitter the gram everywhere this is dive media and i can be reached at Divinimus, D-I-V-E-N-O-M-O-U-S. And as is my custom, you can find me on E to the V to the, where we discuss all things, everything, and have a good time. Yeah, because she be on that jump throwing shade all hours of the night. I'm like, this girl don't go to sleep. She, I, she, <laughs> she on this jump starting wars at 2 in the morning. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so this is our last show of 2019, ladies and gentlemen. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for rocking with us. This has been an awesome journey. We're going on in, into the third year of Across the Intersection. So for me, this has just been a, a, a wonderful journey. And we thank you for anyone who has supported us from the beginning through the various hosts and co-hosts and the various platforms and all the different things. So it's just cool to kind of see where we are. Um, so we're, we're going to do a little different today. Y'all know we get tangential we're going to do our best to not be as tangential today but we are going to just kind of rip through a bunch of different things we haven't had a show in a little over a week um just you know because it's end of the year holidays and things going on but we wanted to kind of rip through a couple of things that's that's popping off as well as just kind of discuss you know our view of the year and the decade and just kind of where things are so with that being said if you are in these here united states your president is being impeached. <laughs> your president, you know, I still laugh at people to say, he ain't my president. He ain't my president. Like, uh, yeah, he kind of is your president. So, you know, whether you like him or not, he, he kind of is your president. So for those of you who don't know, the House of Representatives this week voted to impeach the president. Um. You know, for everybody celebrating and cheering like this is a really great thing, I think it's kind of foolish. Um, Last time I checked, you live in this country, too. Right. And the impeachment of your president actually is not a great thing. It, it 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 sort of you know brings down your your stature on the world stage it could affect financial markets it affects stability 
it's not really a great thing. No matter how, you know, ratchet 45 is, and I'm not negating any of that. I just think that people celebrating is is kind of foolish, you know. I don't know if you guys were watching. I watched it on C-SPAN because I, I, I didn't want to get the slant from Fox or CNN or any of the nonsense. So I just turned it to C-SPAN. And they just give you just the straight joint. Just no sound, just here. This is what it is. <laughs> but one of the things, I, I actually appreciate this about Nancy Pelosi, you know, even though I don't really agree with her ideologically about a lot of things. After the vote was cast, there were a few people clapping and she was like, she kind of killed that joint. I was like, oh, okay. She realizes the the seriousness because there were some people like, hey! And she was like, nah, like, nah, come on, man. <laughs> like, crazy. like, like, why y'all cheering? Like, kill all that noise. And I was like, you know what? I appreciate that because I think she, re- she realizes the gravity of it as well. Even though she don't rock with Trump and they argue and fight like children, I think just the, 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 the weight of the fact that your president is, you know, you are filing articles of impeachment against the president. That's like, that's serious business. You know what I mean? I like the way that she brought balance to it. I think that what, the point that you're making is is critical because it is a sad state of affairs when the electoral college brought someone into office who then turned into basically a tyrant in many respects and uncouth at minimum, and uh, and of course who committed high crimes and misdemeanors and had no particular way of discerning what was appropriate and what wasn't because I think he has mental health concerns. Um, so it's, it's good that, that we, you know, that, that I'm sorry, it's bad that, that we actually, or the electoral college actually elected somebody like that. But on the other hand, I think it's a great display of a government at work. Um, I'm not one of those people that thinks that America is the best country in the world. I think there are a lot of great countries in this world, but if we're going to demonstrate anything, I'm glad that we're able to demonstrate how we can repair a decision that that our systems have have made uh, in terms of who would lead this country. What what, what are you repairing? Well, what, what you're repairing is through the process of impeachment um, and a, having a lower house and an upper house and there be some level of balance before someone is actually kicked out of office. You're actually removing someone who is capable of going above and beyond what his office is supposed to allow him to do. Um, and we already know that one of the complaints against him is actually bringing in Hootie Poot and the people over in the Eastern Hemisphere to influence our elections, which of course is a high crime. It's not a misdemeanor. I'm sorry, hey, I'm sorry, hey. I'm sorry. Pootie, Pootie Poot? Hootie Poot, yes. Is, one is that your Vladimir. pet name for him? That- <laughs> no, no, that's actually what George W. Bush called him. But the so, is, is that, well, to answer your question, or at least to attempt to answer your question, I think it's good that we have a system in place when these types of issues come up. No Obviously, doubt, it's no only doubt. happened three times in American history. So it's not like Americans do this all the time in terms of putting somebody like this in office. But when we do, the founding fathers have found some kind of way to respond to it. Well, you you was like restore. I mean, what what, what do you mean? And you said something like removing from office or something like well, what I was saying was that there is a process. And I think that it's good that the rest of the world sees that we have a process when someone like this has been elected. So for, so so it sounds like you're saying that impeachment will remove the president. And no, of, happened- course, of course, I'm not saying that I'm saying that there is a process toward removal. So there are on the one hand, yes. 
I understand that we should not be rejoicing at impeachment. Um, but on the other hand, you don't have a removal of office if, first of all, the House of Representatives does not pass those articles of impeachment. Second of all, if the Senate does not go through the process of renewing, I mean, I mean, of removal. So there is no uh, removal from office on the part of the Senate if the House of Representatives doesn't vote to impeach. Okay, well, you can be you can be you can be a president and be impeached, and you and still be president even that's after what, you're impeached. That's exactly. You're, you're you're repeating what I just said. That's yeah. not what I heard. But that's if that's what you said, then that's not what I heard. That's, um, that's, I, I, I'm glad that we're on the same page. With of that. course, I'm a, you know, both, both of us are adults, so we understand the way this process works. But what I'm saying is that you cannot even remove if the impeachment process did not happen. So, so well, ladies and gentlemen, who are listening, the House of Representatives levies the charges and then the trial is conducted in the Senate. So just for people who are listening, Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House, and you can go anywhere online and, and look up this information. The House of Representatives votes on the articles of impeachment, and then that information is sent to the Senate, the other House of Congress, where the trial is conducted by good old Mitch and the boys in the Senate. All right, so that's, so I, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, and I wanna be very clear when it comes to impeachment, that doesn't necessarily mean that the president gets kicked out of office. He can have he can be impeached and still be the president. All it is is a big dislike. It's like we don't like you. It's just a formality. It doesn't mean anything. We have two presidents that were impeached: it was Richard Nixon and our Bill Clinton. Okay, I just wanted to say that's what I've been saying all this time. Um, they all serve their terms. Okay, then I'm just, I'm just I, I I understand that. That's cool. That's not what I heard, but that's 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 fine. But I do have to just for the purpose of the listener, just make a, a brief correction. There have only been two other presidents who have been impeached. That's Andrew Johnson, who was the president right after um, Lincoln, and that is Bill Clinton. Richard Nixon actually quit before um, he was allowed to be impeached. So I just want just for the purposes of clarity. All right. So before we get tangential. Um, you know, go, just kind of circling back, you know, I disagree with Pelosi on a lot of different things. I disagree with Trump on a lot of different things. But again, I think just the the gravity of an impeachment, just the entire scene um, is I think it's good and it's bad. I mean, I think the the point that you bring up, Eva, is actually very good in terms of the world seeing it. You know, I used to think, man, this is this must be embarrassing for this country to have this stuff all over the news and different world leaders seeing it. But I, I think it's always good for this country to have these things seen because as the current superpower and, you know, old old boys in China might might say something different in, in an, another generation. But um, as the the current superpower, I think the the um, possibility of an American president be, truly becoming a tyrant. Because um, I don't believe Trump's a tyrant. I think he just talks reckless. But I mean, you can't become a tyrant in a you know in a democratic republic. Um, but I think that you know for the world to see when an American president does start acting and talking reckless, um, that there still is a process that he can kind of be put in check. I think is a good thing for the world. 
Um, Because, you know, what you don't want is for an American president, you know, let's just say two term. Let's just hypothetically say it's a two term president. And by year six and seven, it's just getting real out of control. You know, people start arming themselves. You know, you don't you don't want that kind of tension, you know, a la Cold War type of tensions, you know, globally because an American president is talking reckless. And, you know, this that's one thing that you can definitely say Trump is not shy about. And that's talking reckless. Um, you know, whether it's talking about other countries, talking about other leaders. I mean, he he, he don't really care. And so you, you just don't want that that kind of global tension. It's not really beneficial for anybody, this country or or any other country. So I think from that standpoint, it, it actually is a good thing. But then again, it's not a great thing because now the country has the kind of stain of going through that process of dealing with an impeachment, you know, an impeachment process for a a president. It's just, just it's just not a good look. It's just not really a, a a good look. That's all. So anyway, that's enough impeachment talk. If you want to go look that up, I I definitely, you know, I know I'm getting old when I start rocking with C-SPAN because you know, you know, when you were younger, you would be going through the channels and you'd be like, oh, C-SPAN, let me hurry up and get by. But I can't watch the regular news, man. It's just, ugh. And so, you know, for, for those of you listening, you you know that I, you know, I kind of was boycotting regular news and I had been reading my news for a while and but I wanted to see this and I just couldn't bring myself to to watch any news station. So C-SPAN was just kind of a breath of fresh air for me. I really liked watching C-SPAN during the impeachment hearings a few days ago because, as you said, it just reflects what's being said and as a citizen of this country, it's really interesting hearing these representatives talk and the different levels of talent that exist in terms of expression and the different foci that they have. For example, there were some people who got up there and actually talked, and this is a very small percentage, actually talked about the specific reasons that or the, diff- the specific ways that Trump has committed high crimes and or misdemeanors um, and the specific ways that he has not. So some people were very, very specific, but the vast majority just use rhetoric. On the Democratic side, a lot of them said, oh, there was one guy, I forgot who, what, what uh, district he represented, but he went up there and he said, and, he, and the whole, his whole speech was a letter to his children. And he says, dear Billy and Jane, or whatever their names were, um, your daddy had the opportunity to impeach President Trump. And I I wish I could tell you that we were successful. However, you know, it's just a whole bunch of rhetoric and drama. I know, it's insulting. (laughs) And on the side of the Republicans, there were a lot of people who, who went up there and just talked a lot about why uh, the Democrats were trying to make sure that Trump didn't succeed as a president and talked about partisanship, just of course not reflecting, not even admitting to the fact that Republican partisanship over the past decade has been uh, almost um, uh, just difficult to, to penetrate. It's just been been mindless and, 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 and just, just incredible and extreme. So, so it was nice to watch, but it was also interesting to see that there were some politicians who, who had substance in their remarks and some who didn't. As they say, uh, Washington, D.C. is Hollywood for ugly people. <laughs> That's, that is good. 
Yes, all, all that politics is Hollywood for ugly people. What that means is, <laughs> and I think it's pretty clear what it means, but for those who don't get it, <laughs> what that means is that it's a it's an opportunity for people who are not necessarily naturally blessed with aesthetics to become celebrities. That's a that's a really good that's a really good um really good point. You know, the other thing that I just wanted to you know, throw out here, but you know, as we kind of pivot, like I told y'all, we're just going to rip through a bunch of different stories today. There was the, there was the one congressman who was equating him to Christ. Man, I swear, cats are going to have to answer questions, man. When when you get before that throne, man, and have to start answering questions, like, listen, Trump is just as greasy as most of these other politicians. I don't, you know, I, to. The the one thing that I just will push back on a, a little bit as a lot of people have been carrying on, these other cats in, in Washington are just as greasy as Trump. Trump is just a little bit more reckless. Okay, I'll give you that. But he's he's no greasier than any of these other cats. But the 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 one congressman who who got up there and starts to well, when Christ had charges levied by Pontius, it's like, dude, man, come on, man. Don't don't br- <sighs> Cats gonna have to answer. Got some explaining to do. It's gonna have to be some explaining when 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 judgment is is brought forth. To what would have even given you the 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 gravitas to <laughs> compare what's going on with this nincompoop with 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 the Lord Himself? I just you know cats who are claiming faith in Christ, man, y'all, man, it's just gonna have to be some. It's got to be some explaining. You know, and with that said, I, I, I give a shout out to um, Christianity Today. They actually published an article um, just outlining why Trump should be removed from office. Now, I'm not advocating for Christianity Today. I'm not here. You know, they could sponsor us anytime, though. Y'all could sponsor us anytime. But I just bring that up to say, you know, for everybody saying that all evangelicals are rocking with Trump and the evangelicals is with Trump. No, they all are not. You know, and I can just appreciate another point of view. You know, when it when the narrative was, oh, all these evangelicals are in, in Trump's back pocket. You you still had you still had some that whether or not they're 100 percent right is, you know, that's debatable. It's just more so they're not in Trump's pocket. And, and I appreciate that aspect of it. What was the guy's name? Representative, by the way, Representative Barry Ludermilk. Looter milk? Whew, man, that's a name for you. This was that 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 was the cat that was comparing Trump to Christ. So I don't know. Looter milk. Get your get your looter milk is spoiled. He got some spoiled looter milk, man. Or louder milk. I don't know. Louder milk. Looter milk. I don't know. Sound like chocolate milk, dude. <laughs> some some strawberry milk or banana milk. I don't, I don't I don't know what's going. Remember remember uh banana milk when we was kids. Y'all, y'all have a banana milk. All right. I mean, anyway. I, had, I just had coconut milk earlier today. There it is. So, um, staying in the in the realm of the weird, um, your boy D Wazy. So, for for those of you who don't know, I actually like it because it's it's kind of a funny um, podcast. But I listened to all the smoke, all the smoke with uh, Stephen Jackson and Matt Barnes. They're two ex NBA players who started a podcast a couple months ago. Yeah, one role player and one bum. I'll let you figure out who's who. <laughs> You, you know what? You know side those, note, those hats are interchangeable, though. It just... Side 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 note. 
I, you know, like these cats, man, and and I say this respectfully. The thing that irks me about a lot of these dudes is that they they were role players, and then when you hear them talk, if you didn't know that they played, you would have think that they got seven championships. You're right about that because Stephen <laughs> Jackson talks like he was Michael Jordan of his this day. Man, he he said he was a Tupac of the NBA, <laughs> and <laughs> like, dude, I mean, come on, bro. Yeah, yeah, you were. Yeah. I mean, you were good, but. I mean, you weren't that good. You were a nice, you were a nice role player, but your attitude caused you to uh, get out the league faster than you had wanted to. True. And Matt Barnes played for like thirty-five NBA teams, and they're only thirty-one. <laughs> That's how many teams that dude play played for. <laughs> you know, like that dude's on a YMCA rec team, all of that. Yeah, yeah. He played for like every G League team. He actually they, played he, for the Warriors twice. Oh, I know. Well, he he retired after he won. Um, no, but he re- remember, ring. he was on the Baron Davis Warriors. Remember that? Yes. And then he came back. That's how. Yes, so, yeah, Stephen Jackson. You... Yeah, Stephen Jackson was on the Warriors too. He was on 2006 Warriors that knocked out to the Dallas Mavericks yeah, in yeah. the first round when Dirk got MVP. But anyway, so that's that's all all the smoke. So y'all can go listen to all the smoke. A is right. Them them dudes do talk like it's Jordan and Pippen. Like if you just close your eyes, I mean, you would think on. it's Jordan and Pippen in that joint the way that they, they, they talk. Right. <laughs> but anyway, um they they had D Wade on um their most recent episode. Who is D Wade? Oh man. So uh former champion, former finals MVP. You gotta use saying his full name because people will forget this dude in two years. Oh man. Woo, he got shade. So he got Wade. a hand up. She she's saying she already forgot him. <laughs> she like um, Dwayne who? Is that his name is Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade. Yeah, the A and the Y are uh, transposed. Yeah, they got they, they some somebody on the birth certificate got a little got got, got a little slippery. A little slippery with that pen. Um but Dwayne Wade, you know, former Miami Heat great. Y'all remember him from the Heatles of the early 2010s. Um, he was on their, their show earlier this week. And the topic of his son came up, you know, and, and his love. And, you know, for me, this is actually, it's part of it is easy, but part of it is difficult. Because one of the things that I actually hate doing is throwing shade at black fathers. Because there's always the narrative out there that black fathers ain't nothing. They don't love their kids and they're not around. They don't do nothing. You know, black fathers, they just be having babies out here with baby moms. Like that, I mean, people can kind of be silly, but but that that narrative is out there. And so, you know, on the one hand, you do have a cat that's at least on the surface trying to portray that he loves his children because that was his whole thing is, you know, I love my kids and my love will never change and I want to be there for my kids. Okay, you know, I get it. He does. He loves his kids. He don't respect his kids, though. Anyway. <laughs> he just comes and just. But um, so on the show, you know, and I definitely want to hear, you know, throw it out to you guys, you know, because he said something on the show that if you didn't really pay attention, you would have missed it. So there are a couple of people on Twitter like, did he just say what I thought he said? And. What he what he did was he was talking about his younger son. So Dwayne Wade has an older son. That's the one that plays with LeBron's son on Sierra Canyon. He's really good in basketball. I think it's Zaire Wade is the older son. So he has a second son. And for those of you who don't know, we talked about this earlier this year. This is the younger son who 
was at the uh, at the Pride Parade earlier this year and was prancing around and doing all that. Okay. Yeah, Zion. Zion, thank you. And so D-Wade took it a step further this week on All the Smoke when talking about his son, he slipped in a different pronoun. So he said something like, oh, you know, I've watched my son grow and he did this and he did that. And then as he continued the story, he said, you know, because now to see who she's become, she is this and she is that. And he just kind of kept talking. And so, you know, if you weren't really paying attention, right, because I listen to podcasts sometimes when I'm driving or whatever. So if you wasn't really paying full attention, you might have missed it. But there were a few people that tweeted and was like, yeah, D-Wade just used the pronoun she multiple times when talking about his son. People think you know, kind of like question mark, like, hmm? But what say you? Seriously, though, what what say you? I know we, we got this whole pronoun thing, and, you know, we've talked about, you know, particularly for those of us who work in higher education, you got to take trainings and things like that, uh, sensitivity trainings. But to to see this, you know, gentleman who has a lot of influence, I mean, because, you know, contrary to popular belief, D-Wade does have a sphere of influence. And to see him kind of casually throwing out things like changing um, the descriptor for his son to she, um, that could sway people, you know, even more so than what's already been going on in the culture. So what say you? Well, one thing that's been going on is that as culture has shifted and embraced the idea of the um, of gender and and sex identity being fluid, nobody wants to be on the side of of bigotry against these these uh, high these accepted ideas about gender and sex. So you have someone like Dwayne Wade who is in a position in which uh, his younger son he has three actually. I believe there's Zaire, Xavier, and then the third, the youngest one, I believe, or I'm sorry. Um, uh, yeah, so there are three of them, <laughs> Zaire, Zaire, Xavier, and then there's a third one. But when it came to his younger son who started to explore who he was at, based on gender and, and sexual identity, um, you have Dwayne Wade who feels that he has a choice. He can either walk his son through the process of this exploration by being accepting of the different stages that he goes through, because remember gender fluidity can turn back on itself and, and have someone, you know, after a period of time saying, Nope, I identify as male now as I did before, or it can have someone um, having a gender reassignment surgery and then changing their mind and then saying, no, no, you know, I, I want to go back to re-identifying as female, for example. And so, uh, so Dwayne Wayne has decided to, 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 to support his son through his son's process. But, but, and so that's something that a lot of parents would do because they love their, their children unconditionally. Um, and that is clearly his interpretation of loving his son unconditionally. There are other people who will say, no, love tells the truth. <laughs> Some people will say, if your child is wrong, or if your child is making a decision that your child developmentally does not know the results of, then, and you claim to love that child, then you tell the child the truth. And, and you combat a decision if he's making a wrong decision. Whereas, again, his idea of parenting is, 
Um, the truth is <laughs> science has determined that sex and gender are fluid. And what my son is going through is, is perfectly normal. But on the other hand, Dwayne Wade also is attempting to be sure that he's not on the side of bigotry. And as you know, the culture has shifted. And we're at a place right now where you are a bigot if you counteract anything uh, related to uh, the gender fluidity and the different challenges and, and exploration processes that other people go through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's an article called uh, Who Are the Rich White Men Institutionalizing Transgender Ideology? And uh, any listener can hop on the internet and look that up. Just type that in. And there's an article that comes up on The Federalists. And uh, that is a, a journalism website. And I'll just read this one little snippet right here. Who is funding the transgender movement? I found exceedingly rich white men with enormous cultural influence are funding the transgender lobby and various transgender organizations. These include, but are not limited to Jennifer Pritzer, a male who identifies as transgender, George Soros, Martin, uh, excuse me, Martine Rothblatt, a male who identifies as transgender and transhumanist, Tim Gill, a gay man, Drummond Pike, Warren and Peter Buffett, John Stryker, a gay man, Mark Bonham, a gay man, and Rick Wheeland, a deceased gay man whose philanthropy is still LGBT oriented. Most of these billionaires fund the transgender lobby and organizations through their own organizations, including corporations. Separating transgender issues from LGBT infrastructure is not an easy task. All the wealthiest donors have been funding LGBT institutions before they became LGBT oriented. And only in some instances are monies earmarked specifically for transgender issues. Some of these billionaires fund the LGBT through their myriad companies, multiplying their contributions many times over in ways that are also difficult to track. And this, uh, this article goes on and on and on and on and on. But uh, I just wanted to touch on that just to uh, shed a bit of sh shed a bit of my view. And that is that when we see people like Dwayne Wade, he's a pawn on a chessboard. Um, that's an unintelligible man right there. He doesn't know what's going on. Uh, he's just he's a celebrity. He's just riding waves. So uh, my view, my view on that is that um, I think what Dwayne Wade is demonstrating on a pawn level is uh, this ideology of uh, love is love. And in fact, love is love, but love uh, is also, um, it can also include discipline and training and respect uh, and not just being afraid to uh, be on somebody's bad side. Uh -huh. And that is what Dwayne Wade is presenting himself as, and that's what he's doing. And so it's a, akin to patting somebody's back all the way till they go off the cliff. Now, that's what he's doing right now. And he's ruining his child's life uh, because this child's gonna have to look back on these photos of him wearing nails and in booty shorts at 11 years old. Like girls aren't supposed to do that stuff. So it's not that, oh, well, he's a boy. You're trying to uh, hate on him because he thinks he's a girl. Like. He's being sexualized at an age in which no child should be sexualized. That's actually an, um, an, an excellent point, A, because, I mean, as a yeah. as a father of young daughters, like, I wouldn't have my little girl out there prancing around in booty shorts. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and this distraction. And, you know, yeah. In a parade. That is a boy. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, but, but, but I, I see Dwayne Wade as a pawn. And when we look at him, we have to understand that that's not a king, that's a pawn. Uh, and it's unfortunately there are these this there's this hidden hand that exists that uh, owns all this money, and these are the people that are running politics. That's why I don't trip over this uh, impeachment stuff. This is just theatrics. These people that I just read, these are the people that are unfortunately shaping society. They are making the waves, so to speak. We no have doubt. to recognize this, or else we're not going to be able to combat it. And for those of you who might want to get a little bit more about this um, when we get into our year recap, but in, in the spirit of a year recap, we actually talked a lot about this. Go back and listen to the episode where we discussed the rich white civil war. Um, earlier this year, we we discussed the, the rich white civil war. And, and to A's point, you have rich white liberals who are really warring against rich white conservatives. And that is the genesis, you know, no pun intended, of this quote-unquote culture war. And they have the pawns, the poor people down here fighting each other when it's really rich people trying to impose their will on the culture. One thing I've noticed is that some people have blamed Gabrielle Union because they look at the history of Dwayne Wade's family and they saw that initially he seemed to be a NBA player to be looked up to because he, he had a, a marriage and and, uh, and children that came from that marriage, and he didn't have a bunch of children out of wedlock, and everything seemed to be stable. And then instability came in, and the way that it was shown to the rest of the world was that the wife was unstable, and eventually Dwayne Wade got a divorce and got eventually custody of his sons. Um, and then at some point in the midst of that, Gabrielle Union came in and, and eventually married him, and they had their child. Um, so it was around the time, I, sh I should say more recent years that you see uh, things happening in terms of the way that he presents himself and the way that he's responding to his son's uh, gender, gender identity that seem to people to be different than the way that the family was structured before. Do you all know anything about uh, the, the notion that Gabrielle Union had anything to to do with that and second of all what why she would you know is there something going on with wives and the way that they're influencing families uh that that would explain um the, the support of of this type of decision uh i think you have to keep in mind um that we're talking about celebrities here uh we're not talking about real people and I say that respectfully, <laughs> but we're talking about people who practice all kinds of different uh, um, uh, <laughs> Weird, weirdness. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, the the um, the inviting of all kinds of different spirits into their uh, into their into their homes so that they can remain successful. I mean, we have to understand. Let's take into consideration. Um, what is it? Mark the fourth chapter, or is it the fifth chapter where Jesus was in the wilderness and after 40 days of fasting and praying, then Hasatan or Satan came and tempted Jesus. And he said, I will give you all of this stuff. I mean, he took him to the mountain. You see everything I can see. I'll give you that. All you have to do is bow down and, and worship me. Uh, and Jesus refused. Right. And he fought him with scripture. That's actually a, a, a what very we good example. What'd you say? I'll say it's a really good example because don't think that he wasn't the only person who has ever been or has continued to be tempted in that way. That, 
That's exactly what I'm trying to get to is that many, many people sell their souls to the devil. They sell their souls to Satan when I mean, they become desperate. They want something for their lives. They don't know what to do. And it's easy and they do it. And um, and so to that. So 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 I'm just saying that like a lot of these celebrities, they really do do these things. But um, specifically, uh, there is uh, there's there's mother goddess worship that comes into that, that, that is very popular in Hollywood. And then there's, there's an inversing of the man uh, and the woman relationship and the man being the head of the woman is inversing where they believe that the woman should be the head of man and the head of all creation. And the so, woman, that's why hold, we, let hmm? me jump in there because you know some women yeah. listening right now, ladies, we are not, this is no, this is no shade to women. Yeah. And listen, for those of you who don't rock, we we getting a little Bible right now. Yeah. We're getting a little Bible. Yeah, and let me and let me just also say this before, you know, I see uh Eva starting to float in the air right, right. now. Right, I see, I see. And her, like like storm from uh <laughs> right. from X-Men. Let me just say this. Ephesians the fifth chapter, the twenty-first verse says uh um that we should submit ourselves one to another. So I'm not saying that, and then it goes on and says, "Why submit to your husband?" But I'm not saying that a man, a, a, a man does, should not submit to a woman. I'm saying that there's a that there's a divine order. That's all I'm saying. There's yeah. a divine order. There's, but anyway, there's biblical order. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a divine order. There's a biblical order. Order, uh, but specifically now getting to uh, Gabrielle Union, she's a feminist. She's also an actress, right? All these people, all these people, they worship the divine feminine, and Dwayne Wade. Uh, is a woman worshiper and he had a crush on and he had a crush on a particular woman who was in Hollywood uh, and he was able to secure her. Now, I don't know if he realized that he was the prize in that situation, uh, but uh, be that as it may, he's a woman worshiper. The many men are. Uh, and so I'm sure she wears the pants uh, <laughs> figuratively and literally in the bedroom. And I think that <laughs> That she's the one, she's one of the ones that are going in and, and is influencing him with a lot of this Marxist uh, divine feminine ideology. Anybody and, um, pushing back on that idea, by the way, we, we were talking a little bit about this in 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 pre pro. And I just we, we the, the point I wanted to make sure that gets highlighted is for those of you who follow the NBA, go back and take a look at D Wade and the persona that he put off earlier in his career. Yep. And then somewhere along the middle of his career, he when just he got with Gabrielle Union. Right. I'm not saying that. I'm going to let the listeners go back and just go back and take a look. And all of a sudden, something switched up and the pants got tighter. <laughs> Someone and the, switched up. Someone <laughs> started switching. Switching, switching, literally, right. And the, 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 the pants got higher and the pants got tighter and the clothing got more flashy and more flamboyant, right? And. Start wearing a purse. It's right. And then the, the man purse has started to show up. Now, I'm not saying anything from that. I'm just I'm gonna let you look at that. You make your own conclusions. But what I will say is something that I've heard a lot of wise men tell me is that the things that we do in moderation, our children will do in excess. And to think that that kind of stark change in persona wouldn't have had an effect on his children, I think really is foolish. And really un, you know, uninformed and really unwise to think that I can't make that kind of stark change in my home because that's only what we see as the public. 
his children see what go on behind the scenes and to, to think that those types of things would not have an impact to the lives of his children, I think would be, you know, really fooling out. He may have had the ill intent. And so, you know, we we see what what is going on now. But I think that we have to realize that one thing does impact the other. Go ahead, so the, the pushback that I would have against that um, is really it's, it's for my sake, but it's also for the listeners, because a lot of times we we and people in general just make statements and, and, and don't necessarily provide the link. Um, or the proof of that. Uh, mm-hmm. First of all, you know, there was a statement made, I think it was Avery who made Come it, on. about when uh, he started seeing Gabrielle Union, uh, you start seeing a difference in the way that he's dressed. I don't know many women who prefer men who are effeminate. I know for myself, just to be completely, <laughs> completely honest, when certain effeminate characteristics come, whatever attraction existed goes away, literally. Um, that I might have had for such a man. So the first thing is, you know, what reason, what motive would there be um, for him to become more effeminate when he gets with a woman like that? Second of all, what motive would she have for supporting a feminist agenda? There are a lot of people who say, well, Hollywood, we know that there's, you know, they they worship at a particular altar, but where's the proof of that? Um, Where's the proof that the feminists have come to her through a back door saying, you must do this, that, or the, in the other, otherwise your ranking within Hollywood will, will lower, especially as a black actress. And we know that they don't get the roles that they should get in the first place. And then the third thing is something was mentioned. Third about, thing. Okay. The third and last thing is, is that, you know, there, there's an idea of him being into female worship and uh, that sort of thing. Again, where's the proof? Okay. Can I answer? That's, that sounds like the same question. <laughs> third time. But the so there's a there's a guy named Herbert Mercuse, there's a guy named Thomas 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 Adorno. A lot of these people are Hollywood influencers. I mean, they're dead now, but they've written um they 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 funded the black exploitation uh, movement. They've also written books. There's a book called um there's a book called uh on it. It's called Eros. What is this book? Eros Thomas Adorno. Oh, going. I can't remember the name. <clears throat> Eros and Civilization. Yeah, that's the book. Eros and Civilization. Now, to be fair, I have not read it, but I'm familiar. I'm familiar with some of the subject matter. But that's ultimately where one one of the one of the places where we get this whole love is love ideology from. But a lot of these a lot of these people uh, were part of uh, uh, and prom- uh, were, were part of the Hollywood system, and. Um, influenced many of uh the things in which that are taught to actors and actresses uh the actors are taught very much to uh to invocate excuse me invocate uh that or to invoke spirits uh in order to channel um different different uh personalities different characters uh, and they're also taught to be uh genderless uh, they're taught to embrace their more Many, many many male actors are taught to embrace their more uh, feminine side. Many female actors are taught to embrace their more male side. But they're, 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 they're this this is this is something that this is something that that goes back. Um, it's, it's just it's very ingrained in 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 Hollywood. I mean, I could you could, you could talk about the Church of Satan and um, the Stephen Anton Levy his affiliation with many uh, Hollywood actors and actresses. Uh, remember, athletes are also pretty much Hollywood. They're celebrities. They're entertainers. 
Um, so all that stuff, they're, 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 they are, that stuff is not, um, it is not foreign. It's not foreign, these, uh, these ideologies. Uh, as far as Gabrielle Union specifically, uh, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that uh, she said she was, I'm not trying to put words in her mouth. I don't, I can't, I can't recite a specific place where I saw that she said she was a quote unquote feminist, but you can see in many of her behaviors and in her book, uh, uh, um, we need, we need more wine or something like that, that she came out with a year and a half ago or two years ago, where I did not necessarily, I didn't read the book, but I had, I did hear her talk about certain things from the book. And she talked about something along the lines of, and the kids are going to have to cover their ears. Uh, <laughs> let's just say she was placing her tongue uh, in an intimate area, uh, with Dwayne Wade, uh, that is kind of tankish. I don't know, who, you know, tank from, uh, the singer tank, hey, my what guy. he got called hey, out for. Hey, my guy. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, and, and everybody's looking at tank funny style. Uh, so, <laughs> Um, I hope I, I she was on her. Stuff up. She was on her Malik Yoba. Is that <laughs> you can look this stuff up? I hope I'm answering your question without getting too graphic. Um, but I'm not baseless in my uh, assertions. Yeah. So again, that goes back to the 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 first question, which was related to making a correlation between his connection with Gabrielle Union and yeah. his more effeminized. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, phenol, yeah. or I'm well, sorry, his feminized yeah. uh, presentation, uh, yeah. Presentation. Uh -huh. And so, you know, again, as as with a lot of women, I I could question why a man would become more uh, so-called effeminate after coming into contact with a woman like this. Like women tend to like masculine men. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, and I think you're thinking about it the right way. Um, not that you need me to say that, but uh, I would just put a caveat that. This is not a regular woman, and these are not regular people. Um, yeah, again, if if they have an agenda, if they have you know a particular agenda, and if I don't know D Wade personally, I don't know if any if either of you know him personally, but if you are not strong enough in who you are as a person, you can be very easily swayed. Yeah, and, you know, and, and, to, to A's point, most of these athletes of his ilk, they want to become Hollywood. You yeah, know, the the lower tier athletes know, but the D Wades of the world, the LeBrons of the world, I'm highlighting guys specifically who have effeminized their appearance in recent years. Westbrook, yeah. they want to be Hollywood. Oh, that's a big one. You that's know. a big one, Russell Westbrook. And there, there. Also, we have to. It, it starts with sex. It starts with the inability to control one's sex drive. Um, it starts with the porn. Uh, many athletes, not all. Shout out to AC Green, but aside from him. Almost every other athlete <laughs> is highly driven by sex. Shout uh, out to Will Chamberlain. And the Will Chamberlain. He wrote the book on uh, it, literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they're highly, they're highly driven by sex. And the thing is, how shall a man hold fire in his bosom and not be burned? Uh, the when it, we know that you give someone an itch, they think they're a ruler. Sex knows no the the the, the, the appetite of sex knows no end. And so it can it goes from straight casual sex. I mean, uh, uh, Lamar Odom talked about it. Lamar Alt Lamar Odom, you know, he he quit pornography. He talked about that, like he quit pornography like this year. That's another big thing. And he was he was uh, he had a doggone aneurysm at a whorehouse in Las Vegas. 
uh, or, like two years ago. The flesh is on its way to the bazaar. Yeah, exactly. Everything, the flesh is on its, you know, right. Everything that, that you start, yes. right, at, at some point your body will develop a tolerance for. And so, you know, you might you like you might start out with pornography, heterosexual pornography. And all of a sudden that's not enough anymore. Then you get to homosexual pornography and bestiality and orgies and And, everything else. And And, and that's what Lamar Odom said. He said, next thing you know, you're looking at gay porn. That's what he said. And he was like, how did I get? He's like, how did this happen? I don't want to be looking at this, but there it is. There are men I know who who have done counseling, who do counseling for. pornography addiction who've told me who literally have told me that that i mean they, they they don't give the names but they'll say people who they counsel will say man i just started out looking at pornography and now i'm looking at you know women and horses and so they just don't understand yeah. how how they get there and you know for for people listening that does sound a a little bit graphic but in in the book of james i believe it talks about where it says sin gives birth to death that just talks about a maturation of things that nothing that you start out, you know, they don't call marijuana a gateway drug for a reason because it at some point it leads to other more detrimental things. And so, you know, for somebody like D. Wade, you know, just kind of bringing it full circle here, you know, for D. Wade and his son and his son's son and whatever else is, is going to happen. This is the the failure of people. And this is why I think that your um, your point about calling him a pawn actually is, is a very good point. A um, is. People don't look at things from a macro level. People always look at things from a micro level. Well, that's not me, and that's not how I do it. Hey, that might not be how you individually do it, but these rich people who are trying to imprint the culture with their values, they're not thinking about just you. They're thinking about everybody. And how how do you get the most people? You, you aim for everybody. And when you aim for everybody, you will get you know you will gain the most people, and so what they're doing is there. If there's a parable um, about you know a sower of seed, and you sow your seed everywhere, and then what pops up pops up, and so that works good and bad. It's not just good things. You have people out here sowing horrible, horrible, horrible things, and because most individuals only look at the micro level they're missing all of the stuff that's going on around them you got bombs exploding all around you figuratively not literally and because your soul soul focus is only well that's not what i do okay you keep doing that and then one day you're going to look around and everything around you will be decimated because the entire culture has been imprinted with perversion and godlessness and unrighteousness and i think we have to be wise you know if we want to leave you with something at the end of 2019 is be wise man be wise to not only be focused on your individual stuff but look around you All right, so we're back. So, you know, as you guys know, there are a lot of wild stuff going on this year. I mean, we didn't even get into the recent shooting up in New Jersey um, with the cats who were, you know, the media was calling suspected 
Hebrew Israelites. There's just a lot of stuff going on. So with that being said, what we want to do is um, we want to give our top story or our top, you know, situation from 2019. Things that, you know, each one of us found impactful. And then we're going to just kind of run down our top couple of things for the decade. Because as you you know may or may not know, 2019, the end of 2019 actually signals the end of this decade. We're going into 2020, so we're entering another decade. So we're ending a year and we're ending a decade. So we just want to, you know, go through a couple, two, three things that stood out to us in the decade as well. Actually, um, the decade doesn't end until December 31st of 2020. But I understand what you're trying to say. Well, I was kind of thinking that, too. It's all good. This is the end of the 20 teens, no doubt about right. that. Everybody else is wrong and we're right. So, oh, the, no, no, no. Everybody else knows the deal. Well, too. the numbers on the calendar change, so I think that that's the most, you know, that's the most significant thing. Exactly. Just like, just like um, when it comes to generations, the generation is 20 years, but the way that that a popular culture is doing it now is squeezing Gen X into like 12 years, as if people reproduce after 12. But anyway, so, um, but yeah. This is the end of the 20 teens. Um, in terms of this year, one thing that really stands out to me, I know both of you are gonna say, oh, here, here goes your idealism. But remember, Julian Assange was arrested finally this year. And uh, the thing that just really gives me pause is how much energy was spent trying to capture Julian Assange. Of course, he went from embassy to embassy and got protection from various other countries. It seems like more energy was spent trying to uh, hide the, the, the information that he leaked and to go after him than to change the way that the United States operates on an international scale so that somebody like him would have less to leak. So it, it's, wow, it's, it's yeah. incredible. It's like, yeah, you're going to have people, especially when you're as grimy as the U.S. is. And some people will say, well, the U.S. and other countries only operate according to their personal best interests. And I know that diplomacy is a lot more complicated than this. But why don't we think about the way that we're going to function on the international stage in the future and, and, and be more responsible with respect to that um, instead of having to worry about people leaking things that we didn't want out there. That's so a, that's a good one. That, yeah. That's, that's something that I, that I noticed about um, 2019. It's a little, it's to me, it's a, it's, it's, it's short-sighted also. It reminds me of George W. Bush way back when George W. Bush was um, uh, sending troops over to the Middle East. A lot of people said to him, well, the reason that these people are so angry at us is not because they hate our freedoms but because when bombs dropped, it's been made in the USA on these bombs. Like these people aren't just upset at the United States at a, in a vac from a vacuum. And George W. Bush responded and said, well, I don't know about that. All I know is I can only respond to what's going on now. And it's like, if we keep on doing that and responding to international events that way, then, you know, world war will continue until the end of time. So wasn't Jul one, wasn't Julian Assange in like Ecuador's embassy, right? He's like some. Yeah, yeah. the most recent uh, yeah. embassy uh, it was Ecuador, but I know that he was also in a couple of embassies in Europe and various other ones. Uh, and so he kind of went from place to place, trying to continue to get uh, protection. And of course, at that at these different points, the United States would negotiate with those countries and say, you know, you shouldn't house him, otherwise we'll um, 
enact sanctions against you, et cetera. I wonder what was said to Ecuador because yeah. I, I, I remember seeing that on the news. They were like dragging him out the house. Yeah. And from what I can remember, the embassies act as the soil of that country when you're there. So for yeah. the authorities of the of the host nation to be able to run up into an embassy and drag somebody out, I wonder if they were like, "Listen, we we are bringing them choppers. You know, if you know, you can either lay down or or get laid down to to to, to be able to run into an embassy like that and." Uh, drag and and drag i guess that that's what happens when you when you piss off rich what you know powerful white guys i don't i don't i don't i don't know exactly so so uh, the only thing i'm going to say uh to answer your second question i just have a few things to bring up about this decade obviously this decade had a lot going on well hold on hold on hold on, hold on. let's let's each one of us get the one year thing first before we jump to the decade gotcha so what hey what do you have for 2019 he like i ain't got nothing i'm just glad to be breathing <laughs> I'm just a squirrel trying to get a nut out here, man. Mm, yeah, uh, <clears throat> 400 years, 400 years uh, being uh, subjected under under this regime here in the United States. I mean, it's been longer than that, uh, but for the sake of uh, the 1619 record, 400 right. years, um, being under uh, Pharaoh's governance, so to speak. And um, and now um, more of us are becoming uh, awakened to uh, the truth of um, who we are. I know that hit me this year um, and uh, it's just very, very, very powerful. So. So, yeah. Um, Awakened to the truth of who we are, meaning that you think that people didn't realize that Africans had been in people on the West Coast of Africa had been enslaved and brought to this continent. Um, and 1619 was the first year that they were brought to the British part of North America. And we've been here ever since. Is that the identity that you're talking about? Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a piece of it, but that's not the entirety of what I'm referring to. I'm referring to uh, Israelites scattered across the nations. Israelites. Uh, you just jumped Yeah, it's a biblical. Yeah, yeah. Israelites scattered across the nations. Okay. Looks like James chapter one verse one. Okay, we were t- okay. So I I understood sixteen nineteen to be about Africans, but now you're talking about Israelites. Well, yeah. So you have Israelites that were in, in Africa. Oh, so the people came over here saying that they were Israelites instead of Africans. Well, they weren't saying they were Israelites, but some of them were mixed in. Hmm. Okay. Looks like this would go off into a different topic. Your, the shortness of your answers tells me that you don't want to get into details. No, <laughs> no, not necessarily. But um, you have a, you have a, a, you have a, what we call the slave coast, which is now Ghana. But um, prior to that, it was referred to as the slave coast. Uh, but within that area of the slave coast, you had a location called the called the Kingdom of Judah. Now, the Kingdom of Judah was finally destroyed in the 1700s. I'm referring to the kingdom of Judah, uh, as it's re- as it's referenced uh, off the west coast of Africa, was destroyed in the 1700s by the kingdom of the of the Dahomey, the Da, uh, the Dahomey. Who, uh, if you've seen the Black Panther, and if you recall, um, you recall the the bald headed girls, <laughs> or his uh, Dora Milaje. Yeah, the Dora Milaje. Exactly, exactly. They were they were. They were um, 
they were themed after the Dahomey. And the Dahomey were also slave traders. But um, they weren't the only ones. Uh, the Mandingo also participated in the slave trade. I mean, plenty of people did. But um, again, you had slaves that were exported from the kingdom of Judah. Okay, so it sounds like you're saying that, um, of course, we know from biblical history that there were Israelites that dispersed from the area that we now know as Israel. Mm-hmm. And over the course of time, they some of them made their way across the African continent. Um, yes, West correct. Africa, just yeah. in to be just in time to be among the people who were captured during the transatlantic slavery. Yeah, it's called, some of them were called the Falasha. Oh, those are in Ethiopia, though. Well, now, but the Falasha weren't just in Ethiopia. The Falasha, which meant wandering Hebrew, uh, it's, it's recorded, it's recorded, um, their, their pathways are recorded on, um, on maps that are in the Library of Congress. And that's not just... Uh, in what we now call Ethiopia, which was Abyssinia, because we also have to keep in mind that Ethiopia was a reference to all of Africa right. um, prior prior to basically the 1900s. Right. In, in antiquity, when you heard Ethiopia, it was referring to the entire continent. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I actually was watching a uh, documentary uh, a couple months ago when they were referencing the um, the Jamestown, the, the slaves who were brought in in to the the Americas, I'll just say "quote unquote" Americas because it wasn't right. Americas at the time, right. um, and how their language, their names, and um, their behaviors actually denoted from some knowledge of the scripture, some faith in Christ, because they had bibl- a few of them had biblical names. Yeah, um, yeah, and um, they, yeah, and they had and let biblical- me also. I'm, I'm sorry, sorry I cut you off. Okay. Yeah, a, a few of them had biblical names and. A few of them were well traveled. They actually noted how several of them—I forget the the term that they used—they didn't actually describe them as African. There was like a term that that they used in the documentary, and I forget now what it was called. But it was to denote how well traveled they were, like how they had been around the Mediterranean. Was it more? No, it wasn't more. Um, dang. Okay. Shoot. Well, yeah. Let me also say this because. Um, some some have said more means navigator, not just black. But anyway, the, the let me also just say this: the Mandingo, the Mandingo sold. Uh, they had deals with the French, and they would they would sell the uh, people in which that they captured, or they called them infidels, and they would sell them uh, to the French, among others. But they would sell them to the French. Now these the Mandingo never sold themselves. They sold what was called infidels, and the reason why. They call people infidels is because the Mandingo were uh, were Muslim. They practice Islam. So uh, I just wanted to be very clear for people that say that, oh, well, everybody in Africa was worshiping trees or Oshun or whatever, what have you. That's not necessarily the case because, again, in Islam, Islam rec- recognizes Jesus as Isa, and they refer to him as a prophet, one of one of Allah's prophets. Uh, and so for the Mandingo to be observers of Allah and Islam during that time denotes some form of knowledge who, who, who G, uh, of Jesus. I'm not saying that they were necessarily, they had their faith in Christ. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying, but I am saying that, that Jesus was not necessarily this figure that was brought by white people to black people. Uh, because of slavery. Yeah, I would well, encourage the listeners to, um, I forget the, uh, but there are 
all along the western coast of Africa, all the way down the Horn um, um, to the southern tip of Africa, there are actually traces of faith in Christ. In the Kingdom of Congo, you find tra- you you find traces of full knowledge, and it's actually amazing because this is where you know, and we may get into this in 2020. This whole slavery is the white, I mean, Christianity is the white man's religion and all that stuff because the the reason that that narrative has been able to take root is because in actuality, when you go into many Eastern cultures, Christianity wasn't called Christianity. That's the problem. Yes, wow. I would I would actually agree and AJ's say- AJ's coming around to my side. No, I'm, I'm not <laughs> coming around to your side. I don't use the term Christianity. You, you coming around to my side, brother. No, you, no, you, I mean, no. Don't in, go too crazy. You're going to lose the listeners. Don't, jo- don't jump all the way out the window like no, I have. Just because they didn't call it Christianity doesn't mean it's not the same thing. That's that's probably where me and you part ways because I believe it's the same thing, but different languages call it different things. And I actually was watching. It's the it's the debate that I put in the um, Telegram. Right, right, but right, um, right. but he, you know, many Eastern cultures they just call faith in Christ something else, but it was right, the yeah. same thing. And so when you when you travel, you know, there's a great podcast I listen to called Jude Three. They were interviewing this particular scholar who talked about the um, the Kingdom of Congo and all of the different traces of faith in Christ throughout the Kingdom of Congo, and that's Central Africa. Like that's not you know Northeast Africa. That's not Ethiopia. That's not Egypt or Nubia. We're, we're talking about Sub-Saharan Central Africa where you find traces of faith in Christ, but they just weren't calling it Christianity. So when, you know, Europeans show up, you know, talking about Christianity and this sort of Roman Catholicized version, of course, the native people to Africa would look at it like, yo, what is that? What are you talking about? That's not what we do, though it could have been the same thing. It was completely different what was being forced upon them in the times of colonialism. That's all. But go ahead, Eva. Well, well, one thing that I think is um, indicative of the experiences a lot of people have been having about 2019 is really this part of the discussion. And that is now that we're, I mean, we've been in the information age for a generation and a half, but people are exploring and learning and, and getting information. And that's really how human beings advance and learn through each other and each other's experiences. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because the way that Avery comes at the the history of um of biblical faith in the way that you have and the way that I have are three different angles. For example, when it comes to Congo, Central Africa, um, the Portuguese were there extremely early and had spread Catholicism to the people of that region. So when the British came along, they were surprised. When the Belgians came along and the Germans came, they were surprised that these Africans were already what they referred to as Christian. But that's because the Portuguese got there early. One thing I want to say just from my studies and reading from Babylon to Timbuktu and Uh-oh, come on, is that regardless of Christ, I know that might saying regardless of Christ might be sacrilege to some people, but regardless of him, um, there were pockets of people uh, who had spread throughout Africa um, in the previous centuries who were people of the book, people who followed Torah. Um, people who, who um, did not acknowledge there being a Messiah, but acknowledged there being one God, um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. 
And the reason that we know is, as was mentioned earlier, some of the people picked up in the transatlantic slave trade, uh, observed Sabbath, um, had certain naming ceremonies and things related to uh, ideas about polygamy and ideas about um, about uh, certain rituals and, and feasts that were practiced and were commanded in the law of Moses that they were start that they were practicing, and so but you still have different different ideas. Some people right. believe only enslaved people who were brought were the ones that were sold to the Europeans, which were the outcasts. In other words, they were the children of Israel. Whereas right. other people say that those who were captured in the transatlantic slave trade were a mixture of different ethnicities that just happened to be on the Western coast of Africa. So I just encourage our listeners, if you're interested in just learning more about what happened in the past millennia, besides what you have been taught, um, you know, everything that you need to know is out there. Yeah. And I thank you, Eva. That was great. Um, I also want to make an addendum, uh, uh, an adjustment. Uh, Jesus being driven into the wilderness in Mark is not the fifth chapter. It's the first chapter. Mark chapter one. Excellent. Yeah, I think it's like Matthew. um, That might have been Matthew four. But anyway, whatever. Cool. Yeah. Um, So for me, the the one thing that for 2019 that I think, you know, jumps out to me. Um, and shout out to uh, Jarrell, a friend of ours. Um, she follows the podcast, so she she won't mind me giving her, you know, bigging her up. She actually tweeted this, and it you know because I, I have been thinking about it, um, but not in these particular terms. And so she tweeted out the other day. I hope that the term POC stays in 2019. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, because I've been thinking about that like the last month or so. And for those of you who don't know, POC person of color. Um, for me. 2019 you know kind of signified the the rise that we're all just people of color anyone who's non-white you saw that a lot more in the lexicon you know you saw a, a lot more being being used a lot more it probably got politicized um and so when she said it i said you know what yeah i would agree with that i would agree with that and so for me I think for what I'd like to, you know, end 2019 on is just the end of that term. I think uh, for me, it it denotes the the flattening of people groups and the erasure of the unique qualities of people groups. And so I I didn't like how that term had become politicized. And so rather than trying to correct it, I'd rather just remove it. Probably the the, the way you feel about the term Christian is the way I feel about the term person of color. Um People are distinct. People are unique. People are, you know, people groups, I should say, are ethnically distinct and they're unique. And rather than flattening entire swaths of people into this broad term of people of color, right? Um, I'd rather just do away with that. And, you know, because it's now politicized, um, like people have, diff- you know, differing agendas. People have competing interests. You know, and everybody who's a quote unquote person of color is not on the same team. Um, There are a lot of people who who may, you know, have a ethnic minority background who do not jive with what I jive with. So for me, it was the politicizing of that term. And I think and hope that it stays in 2019. Um, You will you will probably not hear me use that as much. Um, Proud of you, brother. I, you know, it's really cool to see AJ like grow and change. And stuff. 
You are wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. It's cool. It's cool. That's Everybody what, 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 welcome aboard, brother. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. I and you know, I actually had this discussion with my wife. Um, you know, I had this discussion with her um about this just the flattening of people groups. Come on. And um <clears throat> we were talking about it, you know, many of you guys know um my fans from the Caribbean. And so we, we were just talking about and I actually was, you know, telling her that how I, I wish that African Americans would just celebrate being African American a little bit more rather than trying to attach themselves to other people groups. Not in a negative kind of way. Like like there are so many things that African Americans do that are, that are so that other groups actually could benefit so much from. Most immigrant groups that come here want to assimilate. African Americans don't really want to assimilate. That is that's actually a treasure. That's a treasure because Americanism is expressed in so many different ways. It's expressed in a plethora of ways, not just mainline white american culture like that's not american culture although if you want to assimilate you'll just assume it's assimilation um and so her and i were talking and i I said i said let me give you an example this is what her and i this is the point that i made to her i said i said what's one of the biggest countries in asia and she was like you know china you know china you know china right india (laughs) i said what if i told you that one of the biggest countries in asia we don't even associate them with asia and that's russia i was like russia makes up the actually the majority of the asian continent they're they're like 22.5 million i looked this up they're 22.5 million russians on the Asian quote unquote continent, but we don't call them Asian. Why is that? Because we flatten, because we like to flatten people groups. You see what I'm saying? Because Asian just talks about all them other ethnic people that don't look white. Russians look white, so we don't call them Asian. But yeah, well, the closest thing we say is Euro Asia, even though Europe is actually a part of Asia. Right, but nobody right. says that. That's my point. Yeah. You're you're exactly yeah. right because what mm-hmm. Europe is is the knuckle of Asia, really. What it yeah. is, but nobody says that, right? And mm-hmm. the the part of Russia that's actually in Europe is a, is a much smaller landmass. So I was just using it to say, but I was using it to tell her, but we like to flatten Asian people into this one thing. But we don't even include all of Asians because it was never really about that. It was just about white and non-white. And so right. non-white, we just say, oh, you're, you're, you're just kind of all people of color. So anyway, for me, that was the one thing that stood out. And and, and I hope it dies um, because, you know, people groups are, are, you know, they're unique and they're, you know, special. And they all bring things to the table that I think that God will use to you know fulfill you know fulfill and fully ex- express his kingdom in the earth every per you know every people group um has a aspect of the kingdom of god that they will express in the earth and so rather than flattening them i think each people group should be proud of who they are including african americans like you know the the fact that african americans are not african that is something to be like a, espouse that's something to be excited about you're a different people group and there are things in that are unique and amazing about african americans that other people groups can learn from you know i'm gonna end here i'm i was looking at this video about some new sneakers and i thought 
man, black folk make everything cool. <laughs> like, like most of the things that people think are quote unquote pop culture or cool, it's something that black people made cool. Like African Americans made it cool. And everybody else is like jumping on. And, you know, when money gets involved, it turns into something else. And I and I get that part. But I'm talking about things in their infancy, things that African-Americans do that we make cool. We make it cool. And then everybody else like that's something to be treasured. Other groups don't make things cool. Like the moment we touch it, we make it cool. It might not seem significant, but it is. And then it becomes pop culture. And then you have a gajillion dollar industry of sneakers. But when we was kids, it was just us. So anyway, that's me. People of color, let's let's let that thing die in 2019. So with that, we are rounding off the end of the decade. So what are what are some of what are some of your top? I don't know, highlights, lowlights, just things that stood out to you in the 2010s. Just a few things that stood out include Occupy Wall Street. That happened in the very, very beginning of the decade. And to me, it's um, it was such an extreme display and an important discussion. So it amazes me that probably because of the plutocracy that this country is, it sort of faded off. <laughs> or it, 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 you know, it seemed like it, it, it was around for a few years and even some of the ideology around it um, seemed to have disappeared. But it, it was basically the idea that, um, that the people who have the most amount of wealth are between about 1% and 5% of this country and they have half <laughs> of American wealth. Uh, so it's basically about wealth inequality. And it's really important for our country to learn from such a disparity in wealth, because what happens when you look at history is over time, things like that result in revolution. It's inevitable. Um, human beings tend to be basically equal. So when you see such a wealth disparity or disparity in resources, it's not because some people are just inferior. <laughs> it's because of equality of opportunity or lack thereof. So that's one thing that stood out. Um, DACA, which was basically the, um, the students who uh, came over here or who were brought over here by their parents. Uh, their parents came over here without documents Anchor and, babies, right? <laughs> and the kids were born, you know, and they don't know Mexico or El Salvador or Ecuador. They don't know any of that. Some of them can't even speak the language. They just know the United States. But, you know, they graduate from high school. Uh, their parents didn't come over here because they hated their countries. They came over out of desperation, usually economic desperation. The kids graduate from high school and then now they find that they're having trouble getting into college or getting funding for college and that sort of thing. So DACA, uh, which basically provided some sort of temporary um, ability to stay in this country was passed in 2012. So that's another thing that um, I think helps to define um, this decade, even though you know Trump uh, reversed it. Um, the other thing is Hurricane Sandy. Um, uh, maybe around the middle of the decade, one thing that really really uh, made me concerned about the results of Hurricane Sandy is that in the Northeast, um, where I'm from, when Hurricane Sandy came and the power was out, I think one relatively small thing happened and it wiped out the power grid in the Northeast and everything went haywire. And it just made me see how fragile we are as human beings when it comes to electricity and all the dependence that we have on it and how easy it is 
for um, for that to disappear and then how vulnerable we are as a society and where a lot of social norms break down when you don't have power. Um, so I think as a country, we need to, and as, as a race of people, meaning the human race, we need to do something about that. Um, I just have two more uh, quick things. Uh, my favorite book probably for the decade was Between the World and Me by ta Coates. And the thing that just, uh, just stood out for me about that is that he was really good in that book in explaining the quote unquote thug mentality that you see in inner cities. Uh, there are a lot of people who are afraid to go into inner cities, especially to interact with inner city men because they see that quote unquote anger and that, that swag and all of that. And Ta-Nehisi steps back and says, that is trauma. <laughs> that's fear. <laughs> that, that's, th these people aren't you know, gorillas walking around. These are boys who grew up from age zero seeing blight in their communities and economic insecurity. And th these are things that, th these are layers of an onion that they put on themselves that you're looking at. And so as adults, we should be able to see through that and support the person instead of just being afraid and running away and perpetuating stereotypes. Uh, last but not least, the Me Too movement, which really gained traction in 2017, is something that um, I see you guys' faces. You're like, wait a Speak second. Speak on it, Mac Dog. Speak on am it. I, wait, am, I bringing, am I bringing up stuff that y'all are going to bring up? Well, let no, me just, no, yeah. no. I, I, I wasn't going to bring that up. So, so the Me Too, <laughs> the Me Too movement around 2017. And you know A definitely wasn't going to bring it up. So. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that struck me about the Me Too movement might not be what people expect because I'm a female, but I'm concerned. Um, I think that if if you are a woman who has said no either before, during, or toward the end, or at any time related to a sexual act, then no means no. So I'm not going to uh, draw back from that, <laughs> Avery's face, but I'm not going to draw back from that. I think no means no. Um, and I think no also means no, um, or I think a, a non-response means no when a person is under the influence. You're referring to men too, right? That's what I'm going to get to. Okay. So the Me Too movement focused on women. And the thing that really struck me and makes me concerned is, first of all, that men don't seem to, and boys, because we know about a lot of molestation that's taken place that even that even brings about the, 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 the type of promiscuous men that exist who think that it's normal male behavior when it really comes from trauma. Um, but I, I don't think the Me Too movement protects men the way that it should. And um, second of all, I, I, I'm concerned about it because uh, accusations can come up and uh, on an accusation alone, a man's life can be ruined. Um, and I think that as a nation or as a country, I should say, we, are, we, we, need to, we need to balance that whole thing out so that everyone is protected. Wow, that's what's up. A swish. I would say um, I'll throw out three things. Uh, they'll revolve around entertainment. I would say I think one of the big things that took place was LeBron winning in Cleveland in 2016. Uh, that was like unfathomable uh, for him to leave Cleveland how he left it and for the owner Dan Gilbert to write that letter in Crayola that he did it was like 
We'll win the championship before the so-called king does. And then for Le- LeBron to manufacture those championships, but he got them in Miami. Uh, but then to come back, uh, express maturity, come back to Cleveland and uh, was able to uh, defeat Golden State, albeit the tables were stacked in his favor. It was still mesmerizing. I remember I was watching. I was like, oh, my gosh, these dudes are down 3-1. And then three two, then, then it was 3-2. Then it was 3-3. Three, three. And it was like, it was just, it was so amazing. It was so amazing to watch that as a sports fan, to see that, to see this dude live up to that and get that championship in Cleveland. Uh it was just it was it was it was incredible. No, he's not the greatest of all time, um, but yes, he is the greatest of our time or well, this time, not our time. I'll say this time. I didn't make that quote up. I got that from somebody. But anyway, uh, then the second second <laughs> second thing that I would throw out is another sports thing, uh, and uh, it was is Kawhi Leonard and Kawhi Leonard coming off of a injury from uh, everybody's favorite team and model franchise, the San Antonio Spurs, him requesting a trade. People basically think he's ruining his career. He's not as good. Oh, his uncle is managing him or being his agent. Oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And then for him to practice that level of agency and trust to go to the Toronto Raptors, albeit traded, and then be such a model, demonstrate that model character and to go through that season and then to the finals and then win a championship in Toronto of all places. Uh, and then to, to leave and then go to the Clippers is very, 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 very inspiring. Um, and in and, and, and that theme of uh, brothers taking ownership of their careers and their lives and betting on themselves is something that I think can't be, um, it cannot be overstated. Uh, and cause we, we, we need those examples, uh, even though those are both sports, but nonetheless, that's even good in sports, uh, and sports can relate to other areas of life. Now, the third thing that I want to throw out there again, it's another entertainment thing. I would say the black Panther, um, as a movie that coming out, something that, uh, we never thought would happen in a million years. Um, Blade did take place, but as you were saying, AJ and Blade's a great movie. That's that's we make stuff hot, right? Like Blade is the superhero movie that kicked off everything that we're seeing right now. Now we're on Avengers Forty Eight, <laughs> and all that stuff is because of Blade. It's because of a black man. It's because of Wesley Snipes uh, taking a chance and making that uh, making that movie. Because I think he was he was part of the production of that as well, um, but uh, the Black Panther in the in the height of popularity. When usually things are at the height of popularity, it's when white people are there because a lot of times they're front runners. Uh, but for the Black Panther to be made and to be made by Ryan Coogler, um, uh, and it being entertaining. Um, it not compromising in certain areas, like you know, we got, you know, we got black. We didn't have, we did, they didn't give us all the other extra stuff that they like to throw in when stuff is black. We didn't get that. We're, we're, it's coming. Don't get me wrong. It's coming. And in these next movies, we're gonna see it. But at least with the Black Panther, 
we just got something that was um it was it was respectful and uh so that so that that's what i would say for my top three nice nice i think for me um the the first thing obviously for what we do the rise of podcasts <laughs> shout out to the rise of podcasts um as an aging rapper i kind of was like uh <laughs> How am I gonna continue? It's it's funny because me me I think me and Brady had this discussion one time. It's like most name dropping. <sighs> Brady's been on the show. Everybody let know and love the fanatic. Oh, the fanatic! I thought you were talking about Tom Brady. Okay. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> right, never mind. Hey, listen. Hey, Brady can sponsor me anytime, and I'm talking about. We all Tom. know the fanatic. Okay. Yeah, Tom. Tom can drop a check anytime. But you just you know we we, we were just talking about how to continue to affect the culture because I was talking to him about his book and he was just like you know I just wanted to you know find out a, a different ways to still be an impact to the culture without being like a 45 year old rapper no shade to 45 year old rappers you know because I still want to make some music and I may make some more music but that's not going to be like my main thing right and so just seeing that podcasts um, were a thing and how impactful they were how far reaching they are um, shout out to you know Steve Jobs because pod and podcast come from iPod. So um, yeah, so the the rise of podcasts in in, in this decade is definitely one. Um, another one that is cool, you know, kind of unfortunate, but you just kind of see that that it is what it is. Is actually the rise of the gig economy. Um, you know, Uber, Uber Eats, Lyft, and the like. Just everybody trying to make a side hustle. It's just unfortunate that just due to the way society is, you know, rich people found ways to manipulate people into, you know, into doing things. So it just is what it is. The the, the rise of the gig economy, um, there were some people that were able to make money, but the vast majority are just kind of, you know, running in place. So um, no shade to anybody who does those things. I am not here to throw shade at you. No, seriously, because I mean, I I catch lift from time to time, so I'm not I'm not throwing any shade. It's just knowing, like these companies know people have to do things. You know, they have to work side hustles to to make ends meet, and so it's just it's just unfortunate. That's all. Um, and just every different industry now, there's a side hustle in that industry whether it's food delivery or we'll come and clean your house or you know we'll we'll come do this come do that there's an app to do these different things it's just just kind of shows you the i think you know Eva, you talked about that wealth disparity it just kind of continues to highlight the wealth disparity and so you have a vast majority of the populace that have to do side hustles you know i.e the gig economy so with that yeah yeah well, you know, it's interesting that you said that because it's a song that came out that uh, that pretty much ushered in a lot of this stuff, right? And the lyrics go, I fly like paper, get high like planes. If you catch me at the border, I got visas in my name. If you come around here, I make them all day. I get one done in a second if you wait. I fly like paper, get high like planes. If you catch me at the border, I got visas in my name. If you come around here, I make them all day. I get one done in a second if you wait. And the hook goes, all I want to do is and a ching and take your money. You don't know that song? <laughs> There's Paper Planes by M.I.A. Slumdog Millionaire. 
yep. foreshadowed everything that you just talked about with the gig economy, right? Yeah, it is. Slumdog Millionaire. Slumdog. Come on, come Slumdog. That was, I, that was probably like 09. 2010, actually. When, right? And uh, the, the... 2008. La- it was 2008. Okay. The uh, okay. last thing for me, I don't know, the last thing was kind of a tie. I had a kind of a tie. I mean, one is just the rise in all the police shootings. Um, yeah. it, it, it's a double-edged sword because there was a rise in the media's public, you know, publication. Yeah. It's of, in the reporting. You know, yeah. yeah. The the way that those shootings because actually when you dig down into the numbers, um, the twenty tens were actually the safest year in this country, but you wouldn't be able to tell by the narrative that the media was putting out there. When you go into law enforcement statistics, FBI stats, they were actually they actually showed how police shootings actually had been decreasing nationally but you know of course you had a bunch of high profile uh shootings that made people think oh this is worse than slavery times i would beg to differ ain't anybody riding around in horses looking to lynch me so you know we're not you know <laughs> this is not the the, the 1700s so and then the the other one i just had is um in nah, this- they riding around in ubers <laughs> and I think the other thing for me that just kind of want to throw out there because it's more personal for me is um, in this decade, Obama did pass the Affordable Health Care Act. And, um, you know, you feel about it how you want to feel about it. I just as being someone who lost a loved one for lack of coverage because of a pre-existing condition, um, that was just a very, you know, very watershed moment for me when that bill was passed i wish it would have passed the decade before maybe my loved one might still be here but you know that's neither here nor there so just you know kind of putting that out there that the affordable health care act did did become a law in this decade so for those of you who were able to benefit um with your loved ones having pre-existing conditions and were able to benefit from that law shout out to you so there you go those were our 2010s um, highlight moments. This episode's running long, so this may be a two-parter. This may be a this may be a double disc episode. <clears throat> Not sure. And on a this week in the news. So for, for 2010s this week in the news, um, I want to th- give a shout out to uh, the Instagram handle Preachers and Sneakers. It's given me many laughs over the year. Um, I would encourage you all to go give them a shout out. So what them guys do over at Preachers and Sneakers is they just highlight some of the foolish stuff that these preachers wear out here and how expensive it is. Um, And I think that that just coincides with the decline of impact of uh, Christianity in this nation. You can go and look up Barna research studies and just see the declining impact of Christianity in this nation. I'm not talking about right-wing conservatism. I'm talking about actual Christianity. You don't notice it until you um, look at like old shows. And my wife is one because she likes to watch old programs. And I didn't notice it until I, you know, I would sit down with her sometimes and watch old programs. And she like watches old sitcoms and old shows from like the 80s and 90s into the early 2000s. And you know, one of the things that really made me take note of the decline was how much God was mentioned in some of the old TV shows. Like people talked about God a lot. They talked about Jesus. They talked about church. Whether they believed it or not, 
is that's their business. But I was just like, man, these they, God was brought up a lot. I was just like, because it's so void nowadays. Like when you go back and you look at like old, like I mean, you sit down. He's watching like Family Matters. Remember Urkel? They talking about yeah, thank you God. Oh man, praise. And I'm just like, they talking about Jesus a lot in this show. And so just different shows like that, and you just see, wow, we have come a long way. We've come a long way from a primetime show, you know, just 20 years ago would have been talking about Jesus and showing people going to church to where we are now. It's just, you know, that just shows, I think, the the decline. So 2010s for me also just kind of marked that. So that's a this week in the news for the for the 2010s. Yeah, you're making a really good point. I'm one of those people who's looking forward to the 100th anniversary of the Roaring 20s that's coming up and I look forward to the Roaring 20s. You might be the only back. you might be the only one even. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> I I look forward to the 20s, right? Uh but for a lot of reasons, cultural, etc. But like you said, uh it takes no time for our country to get on some bandwagon whether that's a good or a bad one that takes the culture in a direction that is unrecognizable to people a few uh, from a few years prior. So I wonder uh, what that unrecognizable thing that we're not even thinking about now will be in the 2020s. Right. No doubt, no doubt. So there you have it, folks. That is our end of the year episode. So we do thank you all for rocking with this Um we just thank you for the support. We're going to be a lot more active on YouTube this coming year. So for those of you who, who um, do YouTube, we're, we're going to get on YouTube a lot more in 2020. Um, I'm actually working on some stuff to, to really have us have a bigger presence on YouTube. For those of you who like to view your podcast as opposed to listen to them. Um, again, don't forget, we have a Telegram group. So if you want to jump into the Telegram, um, hit us up on the individuals and we will send you the links. Um, for those of you who listen, you can hit us up. You can hit up the This Is Dive Media, or you can hit us any of us up individually, and we can send you the the link to join the Telegram group. We just kind of bounce around different things that may not get talked about on the podcast, and sometimes some show topics come out of that group. So if you want to jump on Telegram, hit us up. Um, any closing remarks, lady and gent? This is it. This is the end of 2019 for us. Holidays coming up, you know, Christmas time, New Year's, all that good stuff. If you celebrate Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever else you do, Boxing Day, shout out to my book, book. Um, don't don't hate, brother. Don't hate. Don't hate. Don't hate. Shout out to your Jamaican brother. You know what's funny about Jamaicans versus other Caribbeans <laughs> is that people could be from the Caribbean, you can kind of, you might be able to tell, not tell, whatever. But you know when somebody's from Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I see this roster looking dude. I said, oh, he's from Jamaica. That dude is not from Dominica. <laughs> he is not from St. Lucia. He ain't from Barbados. He ain't, he, this dude is from Jamaica. Hey, brother. That's why everybody know our island. One little small island in the in the Caribbean, you know, Caribbean Sea. Everybody knows this. Wait, wait. So, so AJ, as you and your wife coming from different cultures uh, influence your kids, your wife being African American, you being Caribbean American, who who wins in your household? You know, are, do your children identify more with one, the other? What's the deal? 
Um, you know, it's different with the different children. Man, we getting way off. So this is some, this is some behind. The, this might be on Patreon. I, I might put this little excerpt on Patreon. Anyway, <laughs> um, it's different with the different kids. You know, some. You know, like my my oldest, she identifies more with my wife. Um, my son identifies more. I mean, he he loves reggae. He loves the culture. Um. And the the youngest, I mean, she's only five, so we we're not one hundred percent sure yet. But it's just been different with the with the different children. That's all. So I mean, I just like them to know that they have you know a a connection uh, with with something else. That's all. Because so something else. What besides what their mother's heritage is? Yeah, because of the flattening, <laughs> because of the flattening of people groups. Like I was talking about, you know, you know earlier. I mean, because of, of the flattening. Of of people groups. I mean, listen when when somebody who I mean, because I know people who are white and they may have been here for five generations, they'll tell you in a heartbeat, "Oh, I'm German." You be like, "Dude, but your family been here since the 1800s." I'm from Scotland. I'm from this. I'm from that. And you know, no shade on them. Handle you know, big up what you want to big up. Um, and so that's why you know if if you're African American, this is why I was encouraging my wife. You know. If you're African American, like big up being African American, like yeah, you know, I think we big, do that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know Scott, who doesn't do that. I, I'm extremely proud of being African American. I'm just also a Pan Africanist. I know that we're a colonized people, so being African American is great. Being Jamaican American is great, but we're all colonized by outsiders. I want to know who we were before the colonization. So yeah. I think sometimes that could be misinterpreted as as you know a lack of pride in being African American. But yeah, it definitely my only yeah. thing about about Pan Africans because my my uh-uh. my kids go to a um no because we go to a homeschool co op that's you know heavy heavy with Pan Africanists. My only thing about Pan Africanists is no actually no shade to Pan Africanists. You know I think that by the providence of God, what He did was He created another people group like He's done throughout history. And and I think African Americans are unique and special, and it's another people group that the hand of God, I mean, literally has created in the in the last few centuries. That's great. I mean, that that's a actually a very wonderful thing to actually because I mean, no one else. I mean, think about it. Historically, no one else is knows what it's like to see the beginnings of a culture. Nobody nobody knows what it was like to see the the beginnings of. Chinese culture or it, nobody knows because it's not written down but we have the opportunity to literally witness the beginnings of a new culture see it develop go through its you know changes and shifts and a millennia from now if the earth is still here you know African American culture will will be you know it will be a historical culture but right now it's still kind of in its infancy I mean a few centuries is infancy when you're talking about historical culture so I I think that 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 is what makes African American culture so great because it's actually being written like right now things are being added to it and changed and you know it's sort of coming into its own you know whereas other you know people love to attach other things to to other cultures that there's actually a book written by Thomas Sowell I believe that's, yeah. um, um, it's about how African American culture takes a lot from white redneck culture. Look at you! Um, wow, referencing Thomas Soul. Whoa, what is? Who is this guy? He's I, very who is this guy talking? No, I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about the host. I'm talking about AJ. Yeah, it's called. Um, you're talking about black rednecks and like uh white something. I know what you're talking. Black. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's called. 
Yeah, I think it's like black. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I gotta look up the name. Hold on. Give me, give us, give us thirty seconds, listeners. Uh, the name of the book is called Black Thomas Women Ob- and yeah. White Liberals. Yeah, I thought it was White Liberals, but I was like, no, it's already White Liberals. I thought he had switched it up. But yeah, no, Black Rednecks like and white, white Liberals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, so, yeah that's, some so, people don't like how conservative Thomas Sowell is, but but as seems to be mentioned over and over, we are a diverse people. Definitely, and yeah. You're gonna have people of varied ideologies that contribute to uh, to African American literature. Yeah, I, I actually tweeted about this um, a couple weeks ago. It's it's because Republicans love to cling to white supremacy that they don't even get to capitalize on the amount of conservatism in African American culture. Like this, like African Americans are still the the, <clears throat> the most religious, the most church going, right? The the most devout when it comes to Christ and things of the Bible. Yet and still, the conservative party in this country cannot capitalize on that. Because well, they, yeah. they they refuse to relinquish the the clutches of white supremacy. Yeah, you know what they, I mean. They, yeah, they they can't they can't do that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, hiding uh, the nose for the face. Yeah, yeah black exactly. a black person will worship someone no matter what their color is, but a white person just can, cannot worship anybody that's not white. <laughs> <laughs> that's real. Like they can't they can't bow down to some like they can't even bow down to the thought. Of somebody that was black that is superior, no they doubt. can't do it. No doubt. Yeah, so in so. other words, you won't do. You won't um, finally admit to the social inequalities and put things in place uh, so that as a white person, you can know that you are in your position because of merit, not because other people were kept back. No, you can't do that long enough to take us back from the Democratic Party since we've been over there for the past 60 years based on our conservative innate values. Nope, so can't it's, do it. it's amazing. That's, you know, that's just like the toothless West Virginian who's against universal health care. Just, it's amazing. The, what'd you call them? Hey, the, the ruthless and the toothless. Man, no, don't bring me into that. That's even insulting West Virginians. Me, I'm, 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 you know, I'm proud of all my Americans. So anyway, that's so that's that's where we are, folks. So, you know, listen, <laughs> be be proud of who God made you to be. You are uniquely and wonderfully made. That's what the scriptures tell us, that God has made each one of us uniquely and wonderfully in his own image. And everything that comes along with who you are, that's not godless, that can be redeemed is wonderful. And God welcomes it into his kingdom. He welcomes your, you know, your clothing, your style of, uh, of hair, your skin color, the food, the language. He welcomes those things into his kingdom and do do not be ashamed of those parts of yourself. If, if, the, if they are not things that are godless and in sin, then God welcomes them into his kingdom. He says, come and rock with me. And that's why in the book of Revelation, it says that those who were around the throne with every tribe and tongue and nation. That's ethnos. That's the same word in Peter, ethnos. Every ethnos was represented. The ones that don't even yet exist, right? The ethnos that don't, that, you know, who who knows what may happen half a millennia from now, right? That's that's Revelation, the seventh chapter, the, the ninth verse. It says, after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could, uh, number 
of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Amen. And that's why we don't get caught up on the we don't get caught up on what separates because God will God what he will redeem. He will redeem. So that's a get a little and we're going to end 2019 a little Bibly. So for those of you who rocked with us this whole time, we are almost at two hours. So we may put this last half on uh, Patreon. I don't know. You like don't put it on Patreon. This might be a no, uh, no. I didn't say that. It's just yeah, we hey, could end this. Combo you was talking for like twenty minutes. We can edit it down. We can edit it down. Yeah, I'm a, I'm oh, a chop, man. I'm gonna chop one episode. I, I, I pick one episode to go on a rain. Look at you, y'all. Y'all go on a rain every episode. I just be falling back. I was like, you a little. Nah, bit. yeah, you're right. I listened to the past couple podcasts. I said, I'm a, I'm a tone that down. <laughs> to listen to your your voice it's difficult but at least you know that you've been saying um or whatever it is too often not you but you know that's something people notice about themselves sure so ladies and gentlemen again we do thank you for rocking with this go to divemedia.co check us out support us on patreon patreon.com slash divemedia1 and listen Celebrate the holidays with your family. If you can, get some friends. Just be around people. Don't be alone because depression is very heavy this time of year, particularly in the United States. Um, Suicide is very high. Depression is very heavy. So please, if you have friends, family, be around and be with those whom you know love you and you love them. All right. We will see y'all after the new year in 2020 for Eva and A Sizzle. This is AJ. Last time in 2019, say peace. Sunday they go, they the sons of God.